you once again for this opportunity uh, to come together as your people, uh, to uh, hear from you, uh, to hear your word. Um, I pray, God, that you would help us to do just that, Lord, that we would hear from you um, and that people wouldn't hear me, uh, but they would hear you and see you. So, God, please increase and may I decrease. May you get the glory out of everything that's said in this time, God. And uh, may your word do the work in all of our hearts, how you see fit this afternoon. Uh, we, uh, as we've been singing, you are amazing. And Lord, we need you. So God, I pray that in this time, as we hear from your word, uh, that we will continue with that posture. Lord, we need you. We need every word that comes from you. Uh, we can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so God, uh, help us to, yeah, to lean in and to seek to hear from you more and more. So would you, by your grace, do only what you can do by your spirit in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 2, starting here at verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes, here is the outline for our passage this afternoon, and it's, it's this, is that, number one, point number one, Jesus alone can heal us spiritually. Jesus alone can heal us spiritually. We'll see that from verses one through seven. And point number two, Jesus alone can heal us physically. Jesus alone can heal us physically. We'll see that in verses eight through 12. So number one, Jesus alone can heal us spiritually Look back with me at verse 1. Here's what it reads. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. So Jesus had returned back to Capernaum after preaching all throughout Galilee and casting out demons, as we learned in our time together a few weeks or so ago. 
and from our time last week, after him cleansing the leper. So after Jesus had returned from doing all of these things, uh, preaching the word all throughout Galilee and casting out demons, and as he was doing that, he cleanses a leper. He returned back to Capernaum. He most likely returned back to Peter's house, as we had studied this a few weeks ago, that uh, remember he had left the synagogue from casting out the demon in the man and the demon in the man and had went to heal Peter's mother-in-law. So he was at Peter's house in Capernaum. So he most likely returned back to Peter's house here in this passage. And not much has changed since he left the first time. Not much has changed since he left the first time. Many people are still gathered together to hear from him, to see him. And there's not enough room. And as the text says, not, not enough room even at the door. So Jesus' fame has continued to skyrocket, right? People are hearing about him. They're hearing about his works. They're hearing about his word and proclaiming the word. So his fame is, is skyrocketed. And some indeed are coming with pure motives, really wanting to see the Son of God for who he is, for what he can do in a salvific sense, the healing sense. But then as we looked at it a few weeks ago, some are just coming for the miracles. Some are just coming for the miracles. They don't want the miracle worker. They just want the miracles. And what was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing? Look at the end of verse 2 as I read it. It says that in light of all this, what was he doing? He was preaching the word to them. He was preaching the word to them. Again, as we studied a few weeks ago, we see Jesus here prioritizing the preaching of the word. See him prioritizing the preaching of the word. And in this case, the Old Testament scriptures. As he was proclaiming the Old Testament scriptures, he was giving the people what they truly needed. What they truly needed, which was the word. The word. And just as a sidebar, not that I necessarily need to mention this, as I believe all of us here believe this and, and know this per se, but people need to hear his message. People need to hear God's message. They need to hear God's word. It's the most important of all that we do. The word. It's the word that God uses by the power of his spirit to truly grant salvation. To truly grant freedom. To truly grant deliverance. Nothing else. Nothing else. And then also, everything else should flow from the proclamation of God's word. And everything should point back to the proclamation of God's word. So we, at CHCC, we hold the word high. We desire to be a word-centered church. We desire to be a word-centered people. A spirit-centered people and a spirit-led people, right? A God-centered people is all we desire to be God-centered about God, his glory, and his purposes. Amen? Amen? Amen. So in verses 3 to 5, we see the desperation of the five men, just like how we saw with the leper last week, right? They come to him out of desperation, just like the leper coming to Jesus out of desperation, knowing that Jesus is the only one 
who can help him, who can meet this need that he's been in need of for so long, for quite some time. As we're studying this passage, he was paralyzed, unable to, to move freely in the ways that we are able to move freely. Paralyzed. Paralytic. And Jesus welcomes them. Listen to verses 3 to 5 again. It says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's not move past that so quickly as even Sister Nikki was, was mentioning that as she was leading us in worship. But look at what these four men did to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. They moved the roof. They saw, <laughs> they saw that the crowd was big. It was thick in the house. They couldn't get to Jesus. So they were like, okay, all right, we need to get him to Jesus by any means necessary. So we're going to remove the roof because we believe that he is the one. He is the one that can help my paralytic friend. And just to think about that for a second, family, do we come to Jesus like that? Do we come, I mean, like, think about what these men did. Do we come to Jesus out of desperation? Like these four men and the paralytic or the leper last week that we studied comes to Jesus, understanding, knowing that he's the only one that can help me in my situation, that ultimately he's the only one that can really help meet my needs. It's only him, family. It's only him. So in your situations... Whatever you came in these doors with, burdens, struggles, hurts, pains, whatever that might be, go to Jesus. Get to Jesus. He will help you. He can help you. Go to him out of desperation. Don't, don't, yeah, don't distance yourself from him. Go to him. And he is welcoming arms just like he is here. And just like he is in all of the cases. Welcoming all of us. So, bring the hurting to Jesus. If you're hurting, go to Jesus. This is what we see here. The four men bringing someone who's hurting. A paralytic. Unable to move freely. In the ways that we are able to move. Bring your hurting to Jesus. If you're hurting, you can come to Jesus. They, like us, need to hear his word. They, like us, need to experience his forgiveness. And something else just to pull out. We, need all, we, we all need friends like those four men. We need friends like those four men. If you haven't thought about it, I'm sure you have. But we all need friends like those four men who are going to get us to Jesus. Who are going to point us to Jesus. 
in our moments of hurt and pain and sin and struggle, we need friends. We need Christian brothers and sisters who are going to get us to Christ, who are going to point us to Christ from his word, through prayer, who will encourage us to, to help us to get our eyes, which is hard in those moments, to get our eyes off of those situations, off of those hurts or pains and different things, but to get our eyes on Christ. We need, we need friends who are going to help us in that way. These four men knew that Jesus was the answer to their paralytic friend, and so much so that when they couldn't get to him because of the crowd, as I mentioned before, it was so hefty, they removed the roof and let the bed down so that the paralytic could meet Jesus, could meet with Jesus. This is a big deal. This is a very much big deal. They had faith in Jesus that if they could just get to him, they knew that their friend would be healed. And just like a similar story, the woman who had the issue of blood, as you all might be familiar with, here in Mark 5, 24, starting at verse 24, just to read this, just to, just to see another picture of this, of a person coming to Jesus out of desperation. Because they know he is the one. So Mark 5, starting at verse 24, it says, And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34, last verse. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So just this, once again, this idea here of getting to Jesus out of desperation, understanding that he is the only one that can help you in your circumstance. This woman knew that. The four men and the paralytic, they knew that. I mean, even thinking about the passage I just read, she had went to many physicians, as the text said. Spent all that she had. I'm not saying that physicians aren't helpful. Physicians are helpful. But she didn't get better. The text says she grew worse. And just like these four men in the paralytic heard about the reports. This woman says here in the text that she also heard about the reports of Jesus. She had to get to him. She said, man, if she could just even touch the hem of his garment, that she would be healed. This is faith here. This is, this is faith at work here that she 
just like the paralytic, the four men are like, man, if we could just get to Jesus, if I can just touch Jesus, if I can just be with him, he can heal me. He can heal me. And Jesus welcomes them just like he welcomes the woman, as we just heard, and acknowledges their faith in verse 5. This is what it says. Back in Mark 2, verse 5, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, once again, Jesus saw their faith, which refers to the four men's determination to get the paralytic friend to Jesus by any means necessary. And the paralytic's trust in his friends to allow them to do that and also coupled with his understanding that Jesus is the only answer to his problem, how does Jesus respond? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an interesting response. Jesus could have responded. He could have just said, yeah, he could have just responded to his need for healing. He could have just said, you are healed. But what he does is he responds to something greater. He responds to a greater need of this man's sins needing to be forgiven. And this is what I love about Jesus is that he gets after the nitty-gritty. He, he gets after our deepest needs. He knows that the paralytic's greatest need is to be forgiven of his sins. To be forgiven of his sins. If you're here and, you're, and you're, you're not a Christian, did you know that your greatest need this afternoon was for you to be forgiven of your sins? You may have, have come wanting or needing food or housing, a car, a job, healing in your body, a spouse, whatever that might be for you. But, dear friend, your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins. All of those different things that I just mentioned are good desires, good needs or good wants, per se. But none of those things can make you right with God. Your greatest problem is that you and I have sinned against a holy God, a holy and righteous God. And if you were to stand before him this afternoon, he would find you guilty and judge you rightly. And that judgment would be eternal separation from a loving God. And your greatest solution, dear non-Christian friend, isn't for you to try to clean yourself up. It isn't for you to try to fix yourself this afternoon. No, no, no. Your greatest solution is found in God himself. In that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect sinless life in your place and in my place. And to die a gruesome death. An excruciating, a painful death on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And to be buried in a grave but not to stay there long. On the third day, to be raised from the dead with all power and dominion, offering forgiveness of sins, just like he's offering here 
with the paralytic. It's an offer of forgiveness of sins and an opportunity for you to know him personally. So the call for you, non-Christian friend, would be for you to turn from your sins today. Would be for you to trust in Jesus. To trust solely in what Jesus has done alone to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible says if you do that, if you turn away from your sins, if you turn to him by faith, the Bible says that you'll be forgiven. That you'll be cleansed. That you'll be set free. That you'll be given a right relationship with God. And so we want to implore you this afternoon, if you have not done that, to do that. We beg of you to do that. If you would like to learn more about that, talk to any Christian in the room. See me after service. It would be my joy to talk with you about what it would mean for you to follow Jesus. If you are a Christian this afternoon, I want you to hear and experience the mercy of Jesus again this afternoon. That your verdict, beloved, before God is not one of guilty, but one of forgiven. 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 Your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. Washed by the blood of the Lamb. The consequences of your sin, my sin, removed. Removed. The power of sin no longer gripping you. No longer has a grip on you this afternoon, beloved. But not because of you, or not because of me, all because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, friends. All of what Christ has done on our behalf, what he has done for us. Hear the sweet and freeing words afresh this afternoon that Jesus speaks to the paralytic, but speaks to us Christians. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Forgiven. This is your situation before God. So my encouragement to you, Christians, would be to to understand that and to, yeah, to in a, in a fresh way receive that this afternoon. That your sins have been forgiven. They've been removed. That the judgment that you once were, would have experienced, that I would have experienced, removed. And that you, this afternoon, can be encouraged you have an advocate before the Father, and his name is Jesus, not condemned. So walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Walk in the joy from sin, from sin's consequences. I know we still live in a fallen world. I know it's tough. I know sin is, is, is man, it's, it's, it's at our front door. It's right there. It's, it's it's crouching at us. It's, it's lurking. But we can walk in the joy that Jesus has purchased for us in himself. And one day, experience true 
and joy and peace forever. So may we, Christians, believe that afresh this afternoon. May we enjoy that afresh this afternoon. In calling him son, moving forward in the passage, in calling him son, which is the same word used as child, Jesus reveals his great love and affection and compassion toward the man as he sees his plight, as he sees his situation. And once again, in saying your sins are forgiven to the man, he doesn't dismiss the need he came for in the first place, which was for physical healing, but he addresses his spiritual need and his physical need, as we'll see in the next few verses. He addresses them both. He addresses them both. So he gets after what this man really needs, and that's his spiritual healing. He also addresses his physical need, as we'll see later on in the passage. Jesus being able to forgive sins proves his deity. This is what's going on here. It it, it proves that he is God. That only God is able to forgive sinners. That only God is able to forgive sins. And in verses 6 through 7, they they continue to show this reality that Jesus is divine. Listen to verses 6 through 7. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the scribes, in this moment, are exactly right in their assessment. Exactly right in their assessment, except if Jesus wasn't God. Jesus couldn't speak like that if he wasn't indeed God. He would be, in fact, blaspheming if he wasn't God. And blaspheming was a serious offense before God. Blaspheming was an offense punishable by death from stoning. Think about Leviticus 24, 15 through 16, as it says, it says, And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemed the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes, the name shall be put to death. So this would all be correct if Jesus wasn't God. But the whole point that Mark is laying before us, the whole point of the book is to show that Jesus is God, that he is God. And that as we're seeing here that Jesus was able to forgive this man's sins, able to forgive us of our sins because he is God. And that he's able to forgive anyone's sins who comes to him, seeking him, believing upon him. This is the whole point, that Jesus alone is able to heal us spiritually. That there's no one else or nothing else that can heal us spiritually. Only Jesus himself alone is able to heal us spiritually. And so this is the point, one, Point two, Jesus alone can heal us physically. Jesus alone can heal us 
physically. Look at verse 8, starting at verse 8 with me again. It says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? So after the scribes started questioning in their hearts how Jesus was able to forgive sins, Jesus was able to perceive that, to, to know that. Notice now that this is another proof that Jesus is God. This is another proof that Jesus is divine. This displays Jesus' omniscience, that Jesus knows all things and that he knows what the scribes are questioning in their hearts at this moment, right? Here's how Jesus responds in verses 9 through 11. He says, he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus in verse 9 isn't asking which one of these is easier to do necessarily. He's not necessarily asking like which one of these is easier to do per se, since both are beyond human capability. To forgive sins and to heal the paralytic, both beyond human capability. No mere human would be able to do that, right? But what he's really getting at is which is able to provide a convincing reality Right? Which one is able to provide a convincing reality? Let me briefly explain where I'm getting at is that it's easy to say to someone your sins are forgiven. Right? It's easy to say that your sins are forgiven as you really couldn't provide evidence for that. Really couldn't provide empirical evidence for, man, your sins are forgiven. You don't, you don't see it per se, even though it's true. Right? But to tell someone to get up and walk can be easily tested, can be easily shown. There's the proof. He says, get up and walk. This man gets up and walks. How can you deny that? The proof is in the pudding. It's there. And essentially, his point, this is the point of what Jesus is trying to do, is his point is he is trying to show four men, paralytic, crowds, everybody, who he was and who he is, that he is God, and only God is able to do what Jesus is doing, and essentially he is God. It's the whole point of what he's trying to do, that he is God alone, that he is able to heal spiritually, and that he is able to heal physically. Look at verses 10 through 11 as he makes this point clear. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Son of Man here is a title that Jesus loves to use to refer to himself throughout the Gospels as it's used 81 times. It's used 81 times throughout all the four Gospels. Son of Man, Son of Man. What this title shows is Jesus' deity, his, his divine nature, and his human nature. Like in Psalm 144.3, it just means human being, right? This, this title, Son of Man, just means human being. It says here in Psalm 144.3, it says, O Lord, 
What is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? So you got that. It just means human being here. But in Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, it refers to one who would come and establish God's kingdom. This is what it refers to. So familiar passage, I'm sure. Listen to Daniel 7, 13 through 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is the fulfillment of Daniel 7. Jesus is the fulfillment of Daniel 7, the Son of Man, the Son of God, whose kingdom is everlasting, whose kingdom will never fade. This is what Mark is trying to get at after here in using this, this title that Jesus, is, that Jesus loves to use throughout the Gospels to showcase that Jesus is divine and that he is human, that Jesus is God Almighty with all authority in heaven and earth and the power to forgive sinners from their sin and the authority to heal those of their physical ailments. So then how does the crowd respond? How does the paralytic respond? How does the crowd respond? Lastly, verse 12. It says, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So you see, once again, what we've been studying in the gospel so far is we've been seeing Jesus is all-powerful. There's no one like him. The scribes, they don't teach like him. There's no one who is on his level who can heal people from physical ailments or cast out demons. There's none like him. Once again, we see Jesus' power on display as he tells the paralytic his sins are forgiven and his sins are forgiven. He tells him it's done. It's finished. His sins are forgiven. He tells the paralytic to get up and walk. What does he do? Paralytic gets up and he walks. Once again, we're seeing the, the power of Jesus' word, the power of God's word on display. His all-powerful nature at work in creation and creature, seeing him do his thing as God incarnate at work. So Jesus is the son of God and the son of man both divine and human, who has all the authority over creation and creature, and who alone is able to heal us spiritually and physically. This is who Jesus is. This is who Mark is presenting here in this passage for them to get it and for us to get it now, for us to know who Jesus is. You've heard me say this before. You hear me say it again, that this is the most important question that you and I could ever answer. Who is Jesus? 
Who is he? And here's the second one. Do you know him? Do you know him? So to know who Jesus is, to, to know what he's done, and to believe solely in who he is and solely in what he's done. Just a brief word before I close on, I know I've been, yeah, as we kind of walk through this passage, just kind of talking about, you know, Jesus alone is, is able to heal us spiritually. It's true. And Jesus alone is able to heal us physically. That's true. But at the same time, I just want to speak to those who may be here this afternoon or those who you might know who are suffering from physical ailments, um, whether someone is, is paralyzed or whether uh, struggling with depression or whatever the case may be, whatever that might be, want to want to briefly speak to that in that that's real life for you or real life for people that you might know. And you or them know the Lord. They're, they're seeking God and asking God to heal me, heal them, heal this person. And it hasn't happened yet. And that's tough. And that's hard. So just a brief word to you all or to those who you might know is that as you are suffering or those who are suffering that you know with these different physical ailments or different things that they are struggling with, even if God doesn't heal you now, he is still good. He is still good and Christian, struggling with these different ailments or different things, know that you will experience true healing on that day. That as you suffer and struggle in this life, in the life to come, you won't struggle or suffer anymore. You won't suffer or struggle anymore. And as you are working through that now and, and struggling through that now and hurting in that way now and suffering in that way now, Know that God can still use you, can still use you that, that this, yeah, to, to, to see this as an opportunity for God to glorify himself in you and through you so that you might be an encouragement and a blessing to others who also are suffering and struggling in the same ways you do. I know sometimes we may not think like that, that in the suffering that we are experiencing and I'm just using those as examples there are, there are a myriad of examples but just in whatever suffering in whatever ways just being reminded that yo like God can still use you to be an encouragement to someone else who is also suffering and struggling in the same way or who may not be struggling and suffering in the same way but God using you to be an encouragement to them to point them to Jesus that as you are suffering in this life, that, that you are persevering, that you are fighting, that you are seeking to know God and know him more and make him known more, and that God can use you to point others to him in that way. Just want to encourage you with that this afternoon. Just want to encourage myself even in that this afternoon, all of us in that this afternoon.
but then also to remind us that in whatever ways we're suffering, one day we will suffer no more. And so keep holding on, keep fighting, keep believing, keep trusting. Keep trusting that God can do it. And even if he doesn't, he still remains good. He still remains for you. And one day you'll be with him. So may you be encouraged by that this afternoon. May we all be encouraged by that, that Jesus alone is able to heal us spiritually. And for those of us who have experienced salvation, he has healed us spiritually. And that one day we will be with him for all of eternity, sin done away with, Satan done away with, death done away with, once and for all, all done away with. And that with our particular ways that we are suffering physically, that he is able to heal us physically. But if he doesn't, that one day we will be whole. One day we will be whole completely in his presence. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for this afternoon. Um, God, I pray, uh, yeah, Lord, that in all that was said, God, I pray that ultimately the main thing that your saints, your people here this afternoon is that you, O oh Lord, are able to save. You, O oh Lord, are able to heal. And so, God, I pray that we will continue to trust you towards that end and that we will find our hope in you alone in every circumstance, Lord, in every situation that we're experiencing now, and that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would remind us that you are the one that's upholding us. You are the one who's keeping us. You are the one who's sustaining us, or you are the one who is able to sustain us. Remind us of that this afternoon. Give us hope more and more in you this afternoon and help us to trust you. Help us to see you rightly and worship you rightly in light of all of that, Lord, this afternoon. We love you. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.